Kia ora and welcome to the Stronger Dads Collective podcast, where we aim to help dads be stronger versions of themselves as fathers, people, and in their athletic pursuits. I'm your host, Hayden Pritchard, and you can find me at hjp underscore stronger dads on Instagram, and you can learn more about me and my coaching services at hjpmethod.co.nz. Before you finish listening today, be sure to rate and subscribe on the platform you're listening to. Right, let's get into today's episode. Kia ora and welcome to episode 38 of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. I am joined by a guest who we have had on before. I didn't actually go back and check what episode that was, but if you go scroll through the episodes, you'll be able to find it. Um, so we won't bother about too much of an introduction. Again, if you want one of those, listen to the first episode first. Um, and he's also a man who probably doesn't really need any introduction if you're into strength sports. Uh, so Mike T, how are you going? I'm good, man. Good, man. Good to be talking to you again today. Yeah, no, it's great to have you back. And I mean, I, the main thing for me really that sort of, I guess, pushed this was your recent international competition results. I mean, and there's, there's two reasons to that. Firstly, um, you know, they're pretty good results. And we had talked a bit in our last episode about, I think we might have even mentioned that you were going to that comp. Um, but we'd also, you know, talked a bit about that comeback and kind of how you'd, after having the kids, you know, your training had taken a bit of backseat, you had dealt with some niggles and issues and you'd started kind of working your way back. Um, to some pretty pretty respective numbers and numbers that I'm pretty sure you're you're fairly proud of, you know, coming back and hitting. Um, and so I kind of wanted to to jump in today and get into a little bit about, um, I guess in my mind it's it's the different seasons um, that that AR training goes through, but also that our parenting goes through and how those two things kind of um, correlate because. Yeah. Your kids are at a different age and a different stage, you know, to what they were five years ago, obviously. Um, but I was like, I wonder when I'm looking at your training and I'm looking at how things are going, I'm like, I wonder what the influence of that piece has had on how these results have been. But let's just first get a little bit of a debrief um, from you of the comp, you know, tell everyone what competition it was that I'm referring to from about what was about a month and a bit ago. Um and just kind of how mm-hmm. that day went and how you found that. And I mean, your first, that's your first international meet for a wee while wasn't it yeah yeah probably some well since 2015 uh, would have been my last international so it's been quite a long time but uh, uh this was the north american championship and you know training for this went very very well uh i, I felt really good you know toward the end i picked up uh, like my elbow was aching a little bit mm. but I mean, it's always something, right? Uh, this was probably the healthiest I've felt going into a competition that I can remember. Uh, so yeah. to say that at this point, you know, 26 or so years into uh, training, that's uh, I'm quite proud of that. And then to, you know, to have had the break that I had and then come back to compete at that level, um, uh, my performance wasn't quite where I hoped it would be but Mm. lots of times these things when you talk when you debrief athletes after major competitions do a lot of this and that's often the case you know because our expectations tend to rest on these like well if if I have a really excellent day and everything goes to my plan a numbers you know I'm going to total x yeah but it rarely goes quite that perfectly there's always adjustments that need to be made, uh, and fair enough, right? But uh, lots of times that mismatch between expectation and reality, that's what tends to correlate with the the negative mm-hmm. uh, emotion, right? And like the the counterpoint, well, the the not a counterpoint, but like the the example of like the opposite scenario comes from the national championship where I qualified for this competition. Yeah. Because I, I don't remember if we talked about that, but I was injured before that competition. I was thinking I wouldn't even do it. You know, and then, Yeah, I think we did touch on that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. And it ended up I was able to do it and uh, had a great time because my expectations were that I wasn't going to do it at all. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but... So when I look at it through that lens, you know, I'm I'm proud of what I did at North Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, I did take a legitimate attempt at a world record deadlift. Now, um, Matt, Gary, and I have a like this joke that we uh, we always 
tell like anybody can attempt a world record deadlift like that's not necessarily an achievement but <laughs> yeah but, uh, it, it was a legitimate attempt uh, i didn't quite get it but i got off the floor you know not quite to not quite to the knee but you know just below that some bit below that so i mean it's close um it's just a little bit too much on the day but uh um yeah, things are moving in the right direction. It was fun training yeah. up for it. And honestly, it's been you know six weeks or so. I just finished my first uh, training block after mm -hmm. that competition. And that also has been going great. Um, so it's fun. Training's fun when it's going well. So it I'm is. having a good time. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that I sort of think back to with your training and you're coming back here is like um, that big long spell where you were just front squatting for like... <laughs> I don't know, was it two years or something six, like that where you like didn't touch years. a back squat? Six, <laughs> six years. Jeepers. It was a long time, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like, you know, to come back from that period of time where you kind of couldn't even do, you know, a, a back squat because you had yeah. issues and niggles from it. It was like, you've come back and then for the last, like, two or so years where you've been able to actually train properly again, you've built the strength back and you're like, you're right there with, you know, I don't know what that total is compared to your best ever, um, but it can't be far off. Yeah, we're, I think my best totals in the nine thirty. it's like 9.37, yeah. 9.35, somewhere in there. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it may surprise you to hear, like, I'm actually terrible at remembering all numbers, like, whether it's my own <laughs> numbers or athlete Because numbers. you've got to put it in a spreadsheet, Mark. I've seen yeah, your spreadsheet. Yeah, I, so. I don't remember any of that stuff. If I don't write it down, it's gone. But, yeah. Yeah, so it's 9.30 range is, is where my best totals at and i haven't quite cracked 900 since i've come back but you know i'm like right on the edge of it mm. and i think you know when i'm training up for these competitions and i am looking at those plan a numbers you know a pr total is in my future you know um, yeah there are prs in my future and that's uh, heartening you know yeah yeah because have you got close like what is your so obviously the deadlift if that was a world record attempt that must have been like yeah, going for an all-time pr a small pr yeah. yeah 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 and how much like what's the difference discrepancy because obviously with the elbow issue that you're having you kind of can't look at the bench numbers and be like ah oh, you know that doesn't really the give it a fair indication necessarily not terribly far off like i think my best bench is 217.5 and yeah you know i've been around 210 212 Okay. So, yeah, that so actually, it's not, yeah, it's not wildly off. It's a little bit more off. Um, but again, if it would help a lot if I could make all three of my attempts. The last several competitions I've done have either been injured and not trying that hard, or I'll, I'll miss a squat. Yeah, uh, and that that hurts. <laughs> yeah. Well, you missed your opener, didn't you? Yeah, I missed my opener on depth, and I knew I did it as soon as uh, as soon as I turned around in the hole. You know, oh, I thought, ah, damn it, I cut that one. And like yeah. I look back on the video and it's very borderline, you know, been in comps where I probably would have gotten it, uh, but I, I could feel it as soon as I did it. So, you know, yeah. it's not a, a call that I'm not going to complain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then um, if, if we look at how your training's going, like I wrote down a few numbers here, what have you done? You said you've done like a 340 for five on the deadlift recently and a 254 yeah. for 12. Like those are yeah. some pretty good, good rep numbers. And are they both all-time PRs in terms of reps? Yeah, yeah. So the deadlift is uh, like a 25 pounds, so 10 or so kilo, mm. uh, 12 kilo PR deadlift all time for five. Yeah. Um, and the the squat is about um, it's 15 pounds or so for 12 reps. Yeah. Uh, all time best. Uh, and the, the single in the squat is comparable to where it's at in mm. you know, peak form uh and here i'm like a block in so uh this block definitely went well i'm doing a local competition at the end of october uh and the reason i chose this one is because it's close to home and mm. my kids have never seen me compete yeah uh, so yeah. i wanted to you never know how many more of these you got in you and yeah. i thought you know let's get this taken care of so at least they'll go they'll see it I don't know if they're going to care, but I'll care. <laughs> so, so I'm going to drag everyone to to at least one competition. 
I read I read something the other day actually about that though, like you know, um, exposing them to the stuff that you do that you're good at. It was I think it was in the Daily Dad email, um, okay. and it was yeah they, he was talking about how like oftentimes you know the kids won't see us when we're at home. We might be a bit grumpy when we finish work for the day. Like you know they'll they'll see all of like the aspects of you at home, and probably when you're a little bit grumpy, a little bit tired, they see all of that like real stuff of you. Um, but, you know, they're never going to be at work with you and watch you when you're, you know, doing whatever it is you do. You know, if you're in board meetings and you're, you know, like killing work, um, so to speak, you know, and doing a really good job of that. Like they don't see all these things in your life where you're working really hard and pushing towards something, you know. So like yeah. you're kind of basically doing that exact thing, right, where it's saying, right, let's bring them into this environment where, you know, where I, I enjoy it, I thrive in it and I do well in it so that my kids can see a different side of me and they can see what it's like when dad works hard and they can see what it's like, you know, when dad performs, um, so to speak. Yeah. Like, oh, that's another part of dad. And he's like, it doesn't matter if they aren't interested right now, like bribe them to come along. Um, <laughs> you know, like, as you yeah. said, it'll be important for you. But then also they'll probably look back at that and be like, oh, man, yeah, dad did used to do some pretty cool stuff. I remember when we he, we went to this comp, even if at the day they're like, I just want to go get a toy and, you know, right. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they they know a lot, right? Like, they know what I do for work. They don't really get, like, what coaching is versus nah, competing. Nah. And, and you can't expect and, them to get that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, and that's fine. They think that when I go and compete that that's how I earn money as well. But you know, they, don't, they don't realize that that's the hobby side of what I do. But um, you know, it all serves a purpose. And then they see, you know, we all come back from these things with medals and whatnot. So they see that yeah, and kids yeah. love that stuff, right? And they see videos and stuff. So they see, they get some of it, but I don't know if they get all of it and the, the yeah. energy component of it, you know? And um, so that'll be neat, especially for the, the older two. Um, my oldest is nine, uh, mm. then the middle is, um, five and I've got twins that are three and the three-year-olds, I mean, they, they that's fine. You know, the, they're three and they're going to live their little three-year-old lives, <laughs> but the older two, uh, they'll, um, I expect that maybe some light bulbs will click, you know, yeah. light bulbs don't click, light bulbs turn on. So <laughs> I expect maybe some light <laughs> the bulbs will click. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah well it'll put some things together for them so they'll just kind of have a little more complete picture and but, i mean i've seen you train a lot like you know yeah. you train at home a, a lot yeah. of the time so i mean it's they've already seen that but i guess they have no no understanding of what that's really like why dad's really lifting this thing you yeah know? <laughs> yeah or you know yeah i mean when I think about like how little context they have for what it is or what it means, mm -hmm. uh, it must seem odd. <laughs> you know, it, I, I'm sure they don't think about it much. Yeah. But if they did, to, to be honest, Mike, with powerlifting, I'm not sure if they're going to come along to a comp and uh, be able to put all the bits together as well, because you're going to be like, why are all these guys just doing a squat from the same rack and getting really excited? Like, <laughs> Maybe there's, maybe there's probably yeah. going to have to be some explanation of that. I still remember when my mum came to my first powerlifting yeah. comp, um, and and she she you know afterwards I think I had pulled like a big deadlift to get you know a number that I wanted or win my weight class or something at the end, and she comes up to me afterwards and she goes, Hayden, of all the things that you've done, this has to be the weirdest. And I was just like, <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? And she's like, well, like it's just you know it's just a bunch of guys like because obviously she was there for the men's session just a bunch of guys you know in this gym and it was a, one of those classic powerlifting gyms you know and it's a, like a little dungeon and you're all just lifting weights like it's just very weird Hayden and I was just like <laughs> you know this happened to be the thing that I was just you know the best I'd ended up doing for another you know five or so years competitively and his mum just at the very first one being like this is strange man you're into some weird stuff but I'll support you nonetheless <laughs> <laughs> oh man so, yeah. so that was my mum's thoughts on it. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the kids say, but I, they're not yeah. going to have the same perspective as my mum because obviously mum's been to all of my different sporting events and she was just like, you know, some of the stuff you've chose to do sporting-wise, Hayden, it's it's strange, but this takes the cake. So, My yeah. mum said something uh, that was odd to me. I had been competing for a long time, uh, and I was at the Arnold, actually, and it was the Arnold is close enough to my hometown that they would often come and watch. And yeah. So my mom knew what it was she understands sports you know and uh you know she gets the objectives of powerlifting and everything 
uh, and she'd been to competitions before. And but like when I came out, like I could see she had been crying, you know, and and she was like, she's like, I just get so upset because when I watch them, I think, why don't they help you? <laughs> she talked about the spotters. Those, like, like yeah, yeah, talking about the spotters. This is just one of those completely irrational totally emotional reactions like you know but you just feel feelings and they just come out you know so yeah oh that's well, good they didn't help me so, yeah you're like then i would have had to try and do it again or i would have failed or It'd be terrible to go through all this and then come out there and they just help me yeah i actually was training to be able to do that myself like i didn't <laughs> I didn't want or need their support. Like, you know, that's kind of the, the, just there just in case. But right. I guess. <laughs> uh, no, that's good. Mums and powerlifting, eh? That's, right. yeah. <laughs> um, so when, when we look at that as well, obviously you've got the kids coming along and you're looking like you're actually going to hit some pretty big numbers. Like, do yeah. you have any sort of thoughts about how that might influence your meet? Like, are you a fairly, I mean, I assume you're a fairly calculated lifter and, you know, you're not yeah. someone sitting out there raising yourself up backstage and sniffing ammonia and all that kind of thing. Like, do you think there'll be any sort of impact of that, like on your performance from a psychological standpoint? Like, well, no you... idea. This yeah. is completely uncharted territory. And I didn't expect to be in this position either. Like yeah. when I decided to do this, I thought this won't be a major peak. Yeah. I'm not going to put a lot of effort into it. I'm going to come and do the competition, just do it hit some mm. at nine lifts and then move on you know but training's going well and so now i want to try <laughs> and so yeah it's like well how are you going to react when you know i hear the little voices in the crowd because i'm sure i'll hear yeah. it you know yeah you'll, you'll no, be attuned to that man you'll you'll know yeah. exactly whose voices are like it's probably not going to be that big of a deal i am pretty mm. like uh level-headed i guess the competitions like yeah i'll i'll i'm very involved with all the decision making and i look at the scoreboard i'm i talk to people you know i'm, yeah. I'm not one of these lifters that shuts out the world yeah yeah that said i mean it's just natural that everyone on like a, a competition especially something like this i've been doing it for mm. so long it's clearly part of how i view myself regardless of what we think about sports and identity it to some extent yeah nowadays i feel like it can't be completely avoided I'm not sure that you want it to be completely avoided that's another topic though but it's clearly part of how i see myself and anybody in that situation uh competition day is an emotional event you're always more emotional than you would be otherwise it's just part of it mm. you know and you learn to cope with it uh, so how does that mesh with the little voices? We'll see. I'll let you know. But uh, yeah, that that'll be real. Like that's yeah. just really intriguing to me because it is, it is like just a different, yeah, a different element. And as you say, you haven't experienced yeah. it before. You haven't had that ex before. And by all accounts, and the way that you are on a competition day, they're probably you know it shouldn't have an influence, or it's unlikely to have an influence. Yeah. But. I don't know, man. Kids, I think, tug on heartstrings a little bit regardless and kind of, you know, will that have an influence? I don't know. I mean, you probably won't hear them mid-squat, but you'll probably hear them when you're walking out. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, well, like, or in, afterwards. In the squat and the bench, you know, I usually I've got more than enough nerves for squats. So I'm usually yeah. calming down. You know, I'm trying I'm deep breathing and just trying not yeah. to be nervous, you know. Great. Bench is whatever. <laughs> You know, um, no one's excited about bench. Uh, and then, <laughs> but for deadlift, that's, you know, for me, especially the, that's my most emotional event anyway. Mm. And I've been influenced by crowds in the past for deadlift, uh, usually in a positive way. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. It my, could be cool. My memory and, of um, <clears throat> crowds and deadlifts is your one in South Africa. Yeah. That was unreal. That was probably the loudest, one of the loudest rooms I think I've ever been in, just because, you know, it wasn't that yeah. big a room. Like it was, it was a decent sized hall, but it was packed. And yeah. man, everyone was making noise at that one. That was awesome. <laughs> that was a wild experience. It is one of the, and maybe we talked about this in the last one, I don't quite recall, but it, it was really surreal to me. 
because the number that we put on the bar was 390, I think, or something. It was mm -hmm. a big deadlift. It's obviously more than I had ever pulled. Uh, it's more than my training indicated would be there by a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. and usually, like I said, my training, like that number is usually a little optimistic anyway. Yeah. So I knew, like in my head, I knew it was a reach. But then you, you go, well, you need 390. So, of course, you put it on the bar, right? Yeah. And then in that space, the time between when we called for that weight and the time that I went up to, to do it, I had fully convinced myself that this was not only possible, it was going to happen. Like, I... I struggle to properly convey what I mean. I mean, I fully believed it, you know, yeah. it wasn't fake. It was a hundred percent true belief, you know, and then I go out there and I pull it and I did miss it because physical limitations are real. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then like, I just come back to reality. I'm like, well, yeah, that was too heavy, you know, like, but like <laughs> that few minutes of like completely being sold that this was a thing. I don't know. It's, it's a surreal experience in my, in my head. Like when I think back and, and like, think about what it was like to live through that, that's, it's weird to think about. <laughs> what do you think? Like, was it the environment? Was it the fact you needed it? Like, was there yeah. a specific reason that you think switched? Well, we just said, I was going to say, you know, the same thing you yeah. said before about switches, but, uh, <laughs> that, that flick the switch rather than flick the light bulb. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? Well, like, was there anything I mean, I think that the comes environment back to? Was, I think it was the environment. You know, the energy of of the room. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. that the fact that I needed it. Yeah, and I think also that I had been, you know, focused on this for months leading up to it, and and really focused on the winning aspect of it. Which, if I was to go back and do it again, I'd probably do that part differently. Yeah. Um, I, I think that. Well, when I trace back the problems that led to that six-year break, it traces back to that competition and the prep for it. You know. Yeah. Um, I was so focused on winning that competition that I think, in a lot of ways, it cost me years. The next few you know? years, yeah. Yeah, and you know, no competition not even the world championship is worth that, yeah. you know, you're better because it doesn't, it, it's not even that you're trading one for the other. It's that it doesn't help you. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be focused like that and have all the anxiety and all the decision-making problems that come along for the ride and not perform any better. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've talked with some sports psych people about this too. Like I mentioned to you, the, competition where I went in injured mm. had a great time you know I've had the first competition that I did back after my long break you know it'd been six years since I'd competed so I stepped back on the platform with n no expectations I hadn't even gone that heavy in training you know like I'd taken my openers but nothing heavier than that so I had no idea what was going to happen after that and yeah it was so fun you know <laughs> And when I look back on it, I don't think I performed any worse. Like if I had, you know, done more and layered on more expectations, I don't think I would have performed any better. Yeah. Yeah. I just would have had more anxiety and more negative emotion to go along with it. And so I think like, what's that for? You know, what good does it do in me? And I can't think of any good at all. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, at the same time, like it's hard to continue doing this and taking it seriously without putting expectations onto it so what are you going to do you, you got you got some expectations you have to learn to cope with some of it you know That's, and some of that like i don't think you can necessarily yeah. get rid of as well yeah. like you know i think sometimes we talk about oh it's not good to have this emotion or it's not good to feel that way or it's not good to have this expectation but like a lot of that kind of just comes right because yeah. you've invested all this time and you invested all this effort and like you can I guess you can take a little bit of the meaning away from the result in terms of like not make it mean as much to you in terms of the context of like, you know, your entire existence or your entire life, but yeah. you're still going to care about the outcome. Even yeah. if you put it into context, like it still matters. Um, even if it is, you know, just a powerlifting competition, you know, if you're right. trying to make it feel that way to yourself, you still know that you put how many hours into the gym, you've made all these decisions to prioritize that over other things. It's like, 
how can you not you know be invested right. in that and and you probably should to an extent as well but it's yeah. kind of how do you temper that so that it's not like all of my emphasis and all of my focus is only on this one thing um, which is probably what leads to making the decisions which lead to the need for a six-year break right is that you've you've put it above everything else you've pushed a little bit further than you probably would have otherwise done if you were being a bit more sensible but because you had so much meaning on that it's like well actually i made these decisions right which led to that yeah outcome ultimately well the further you go the the smaller the margins mm. you know that you've got to thread the needle in tighter and tighter conditions yeah and i mean that's continued to be true I mentioned, uh, you know, this last prep for North Americans feeling like it's the healthiest that I've done. Mm. And I think the reason for that is because after I did nationals and I was injured, I said, well, how do I avoid this? And I went further down the rabbit hole of load management. Yeah. Uh, so how do I not just manage the training load of squatting or manage the training load of deadlifting or whatever, but how do I manage the specific loads that are causing like the specific mechanisms that are causing this sort of pain sensation or correlated with that pain sensation? And that's paid off. Mm. Um, at least that's my interpretation of events. And before you move it, on from that, Mike, what have yeah. you what what are some of the bits like in terms of when you say you've like you you kind of had an idea of what these load management things were, which influenced the pain that you were getting? Like what, what have you correlated that to and what have you changed to kind of, yeah. I guess, so you know, get me, rid of that? The mechanism has always been, I, I call it spinal shear, mm -hmm. uh, things that put me in a forward lean position. You have more shearing forces um, on, on your spine. I seem to be able to handle compression just fine. So yeah. hack squats and front squats and all that stuff is fine. It's the forward lean that tends to be provoking. And I can handle yeah. some amount of it. It's just too much is provoking. You know, so what movements have that element and how much mm. of that element do they have and then manage it appropriately? So uh, I was monitoring my load of, uh, like the load of spinal shear throughout, you know, well, since February. Yeah. I was monitoring that specifically, you know, so I would go into a squat session and say this session called for four working sets, you know, but then I do the first two sets of squats and that I've reached my limit for the amount of spinal mm. shear that I can tolerate for that day. Or it's not even the limit of what I can tolerate because there's no perceptual change. Like I don't feel a difference. Yeah. But you know, when I look at where my baseline loads have been, this is an appropriate level, mm. you know, and these are all thresholds that you have to decide. And that, that's a whole rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> um, but you, you get to that limit and you say, okay, well, I still have two working sets to do. So I'm going to move to a different movement that doesn't contain the spinal shear element, yeah. but still trains the, the muscles that I need to train and things like that. Mm. Uh, and that, worked beautifully um yeah i, I mean different so how, how often will you be doing like a you know i guess proper low bar back squat movement then is it is it that you don't do the movement that frequently or is it that you don't do the same number of like working sets or like well it's turned into comp lifts being quite minimal mm. so this last block that i did i did two sets of competition, like two working sets of competition squats per week. Two sets. One set of competition yeah. deadlift per week. Uh, one, like one set, so not one session, one, one set. Yes, yes, one set. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, that I mean, I had to do with that, for the deadlift in particular, that one set tended to be a bit harder. You mm. know, if the set was easier, maybe it would have been two or three sets, but, um, you know, it's my, managing the workload. And then I would do other things. I did belt squats. I did yeah. um, SSB front squats. And I did, uh, uh, I forget what else. But, I mean, the overall quantity of lower body training that I'm doing is fairly minimal right now as well. But yeah. that's just because that's what I've adapted to. You know, you can apply the same principle to higher workloads. Yeah. Um, but it's just, 
yeah, find the mechanism that uh, is provoking and, and manage it directly. You know, Do you have any idea what your like lower body, you know, training volume or training sets would be like these days compared to back oh, in the day? <laughs> wildly, wildly reduced, you know, yeah. um, like my overall, let's see if I did three, four, eight, and it, you know, eight or 10 working sets for lower body uh, in the yeah. last block for lower, know, lower or, <laughs> for lower body so like that's all yeah. of your other stuff your safety bar your that just those that's top everything. sets your working sets were eight or nine sets yeah eight to ten i would say eight to ten yeah I, I think if i'm remembering everything correctly yeah uh, but then like that might have been like one session back yeah in the day, yeah you know yeah um yeah because you you may do you know five six seven sets of squats and then go on to do some rdls at the end or some split squats or something at the end so yeah um yeah it's just so you pretty much a, what you pretty much halved your lower body volume then compared to what you yeah. were doing previously yeah yeah, yeah. and then, that's a real interesting because eh? there's a lot of like discussion or there's a lot of talk about mm -hmm. working sets being one of the ways that you can kind of you know push more progress or push more results um and i always love like your sort of approach of we like wait 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 like but we're doing it this way Oh, and this is what we're seeing, you know, like, and I think it's one of those interesting things, like, because I've scaled back my volume so much, I was in a conversation with a guy last week, and I was talking about how, you know, like on my main lift, I might do two or three, and you know, I mean, I'm, my numbers are, are nothing compared to what they used to be for me, you know, or compared to, uh, you know, even intermediate level powerlift or anything like that. So I'm like, you know, take it for what it's worth with me, a grain of salt, but actually, I don't know, you're, you're showing it with the high level as well, right? But I know I was talking about, it. I'm like, oh, you know, like on my main exercise, I might do, you know, three, three or four working sets, maybe, um, you know, on those exercises. And then, you know, on my other work, I'll do two working sets. And he just looked at me and he goes, two. And I was like, yeah, like I'll do like two working sets of, you know, whatever it is I'm doing. It might be inclined dumbbells, whatever it is, you know, about two working sets for those other accessory type lifts or those other alternative lifts. And he's like, he just looked at me like real confused. And then he goes, um, I never do less than three A. Are you sure two works? Like, you know, words to that effect. And I'm just like, yeah. I seem to be, I mean, yes, some of my lifts aren't moving at the moment, but the ones I'm focusing on tend to be going all right and I'm getting a bit of progress in. And yep, my accessories and my variations, I'm doing two sets. Yeah. And that's by virtue of how much time I want to commit to this thing. Um, but then also how much I can recover from this thing at the moment. Because if I went into doing three to five work sets on my main lift and then say, three to four on my accessories man i'd blow up like yeah i wouldn't be able to recover well, from that because i'm not used to it and also it wouldn't work with my running but i don't know well, so uh, it's interesting yeah i mean that's a really interesting problem that's kind of how i ended up in this spot too you know it's just follow the trail you know you you mm -hmm. try a thing and okay that worked so you try more of that thing and kind of see you explore that territory and if I wanted to increase the workload for lower body, it wouldn't make sense to do it rapidly. Mm -hmm. you know? And the way that I set up my training now, I do aim to increase that workload, uh, but I just temper that aim with, you know, um, feedback on recovery. Yeah. So if I'm not recovering from it well, then, you know, the, the workload will reduce and it's going to kind of find its own zero uh, over time. And that's just kind of where it's led. Um, yeah. I, I would say that's true as well in what I've been doing, like to an extent. Like, you know, I talk about doing not a lot or minimalist type volume approach. And part of that is training session length that I might have available and those types of things. But in reality, yeah. like block to block or you know, every few months, you know, like I think I'm doing one more working set on my main, you know, lift of whatever the day is. I'm, I'm generally doing about one more working set for those than I was, say, eight weeks ago because I've I've got the ability to do that now. I'm not training for a half marathon, so my sessions can be a bit longer. I can push a little bit harder, right? So I've used that feedback to kind of make yeah. that change. Like I have the recovery capacity, I guess, because there's not this other external, you know, thing I'm trying to recover from that's not lifting. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like, as you say, follow follow the, the feedback that you're getting and go yeah. with that and, you know, individualize it in that regard. Um, well, the, there's... Uh, the Sorry for lingering on this longer than you wanted to, but uh, <laughs> uh, just say that there's, if you look at my bench training, it 
kind of follows it takes this idea more in the direction of how I would want it to go because my bench for the longest time was very, very healthy and robust to mm-hmm. increases in volume. But after we moved uh, to Wyoming back in 2020, it was COVID times, uh, gyms were closed and whatnot. My work capacity for bench uh, went way down. Uh, so when I came back to benching, my baselines were down. Yeah. And I said, well, this is where I am. This is where I'm going to start. And we'll, you know, let it be what it's going to be. And if mm-hmm. I'm recovering well, then they'll go up. And it did. And it takes a while, but it does build up. And uh, But then as I trained for, um, I forget which comp it was, one of these comps recently, you know, my bench training was, you know, taking two hours a day, five days a week. I mean, just bench. <laughs> Good thing the lower body training was minimal because the bench was definitely <laughs> Maybe that's not. why the lower body has been so minimal, mate. You've been just yeah. got no time to lower body train. The upper body's been taking it. Well, the it's important to note too, like it didn't seem to be especially productive. Like, yeah, yeah pushing for more volume, uh, but to what end? Like it needs to result in a better 1RM, you know, and mm. it's theoretically better, you know, to do more work, but it didn't necessarily lead to that. I mean, it led to some like incremental bits of progress, you know, and maybe that's all I can get anymore. Like maybe I'm reached, I've reached some genetic limitation or something like that. But as I continue to look at it and say, well, how, how, where do I want to go from here? I can't imagine doing more benching. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine that that's the solution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's got to go the other way. You know, so how do you manage that? So I've been in the process of trying to resensitize bench mm-hmm. press. You know, so can I maintain some strength while letting those baselines go back down? So maybe I can get an effective stimulus from less. Mm. It's it's interesting, and I guess like I guess we focus a lot on training volume or training load, however you want to define it. Um, but it is kind of just one of the dials that you can change in order to change the yeah. stimulus that you're getting right like that's that's probably one of the other things like you know at the end of the day you're putting some sort of stress on your muscles to try and get an adaptation right and obviously you know you can put more of that stress on there and that hopefully will lead to an adaptation but not always um and sometimes like i think one of the things with emerging strategies that kind of you know when i was applying that principle of training and using that as my main method and it's kind of still very similar you know i'll, I'll use a similar approach where i don't tend to change a whole lot you know, within a block, like you tend to keep things pretty consistent and kind of look at where that takes you. Um, but I always liked that, you know, with the different exercises you'd put in and you'd actually see, like, you know, you'd go back through training and you'd actually be able to trace back and about, hang on, like with data, you know, like that's the other thing. Like we're not just saying, we yeah. Back, oh yeah, yeah, I felt like I was better with close grips. Like, yep, cool, I'll do more close grip. No, 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 like you're actually putting the numbers that you had in your training, the, the trend that you saw and you're going back and you're looking at that, not just in one block, but multiple blocks with those, you know, and it's like, mm, there is a trend here or this sort of exercise currently and that's how the part right because we change currently tends to get a good adaptation so if that was three years ago maybe that's going to be a different story and you can't just apply that same thing and i guess a lot of lifters get stuck in that mindset too right oh i did this you know um this bench program three years ago i'm going to run it again because it worked really well and in my mind i the thing i always go back to is i had really good results with um the gillingham bench program i don't know if you've ever seen that one it's got like the speed day um like a speed day and then i think it's like a threes or a five star i can't remember exactly but it's like a heavier day and a speed and or hypertrophy day that alternates and like yeah. i've gone back to that like years later and i'm like i didn't get the results i got the first time I'm like what's up with this yeah. um, <laughs> but i hate it mate. Yeah. you're like 10 years older like you can't expect to just be able to plug and play the same program and expect the same results because you're a different like you're literally a different organism now essentially i mean there's, yes there's a lot yeah. of similarities with the like you know yes dimensions and all that sort of stuff but there's a lot different physiologically as well yeah. um, in that yeah. time frame. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, if nothing else, you're a few years older and that makes a difference too, more training history and, and so on. But yeah, totally. I think this is a pretty common problem for intermediate type lifters that uh, they hit on something that is really effective for them. And I think for a lot of us, it tends to be like volume and frequency, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, you're going through that stage where you're no longer a beginner, you're into the intermediate stage and you gain a lot of efficiency and probably um, there are structural adaptations taking place that are beneficial as well. But 
a lot of it gets mediated through this uh, high frequency of of fairly specific training, mm -hmm. you know. And I think a lot of us kind of fall in love with that a little bit, you know, uh, because it's hard and we like that. And, yeah. you know, there's lots of reasons why. You know, but then sooner or later, you know, you go, well, okay, uh, this isn't working the same way that it did before. I guess I'll do more of that, you know, because that, that worked before, you know. But yeah. now you've kind of crossed this point, you know, uh, lots of times lifters by the time they're getting to this point they're a bit older you know like i'm 38 i'm not even a master's lifter yet so it's i, I don't want to i already feed too much into the the stereotype that i'm somehow ancient or something but um yeah i don't want to feed that any any more than i already do but uh you i'm not 25 you know and yeah. things aren't the same as when i was 25 yeah. Uh, so, you know, I shouldn't expect the same solution to the problem. Yeah. 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 Definitely. I mean, all you have to think about is what we talked about before we got on here. We were talking about, you know, how even like the way that social media works or the way that people viewing things works, like that's changed. You know, yeah. the things that appeal to people has changed over time. You know, like how can we not expect that? the way we respond to training as well will change a little bit based on all of these environmental cues and everything that we've got going on from the outside world that's way different on our life than it was 10 years ago. Um, and I, I also tend to think that there's a big social component to this as mm -hmm. well. Like we see this in exercise selection that like a given exercise will get really popular for a while. Yeah. You know, uh, like belt squats got super popular there for a while, but not leg press. They're way, very different. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying my leg press, Mike. I know that's sacrilege to say as a powerlifter, but I'm enjoying no, my leg I mean, press on Saturdays look, at the I moment. <laughs> I, I would, I would troll people and say that belt squats are just a standing leg press, and I, but I, I do believe that to be true. You know, like yeah. it's more or less the same thing. It's just when one you're standing up and the other you're in a machine. But you know, anyway, there's these like social trends, and and I see like we talk about social trends in like other aspects of training too. Like, why is it now that uh, like it used to be that, you know, eight RPE was considered like middle, like on the low side of RPE, you know, seven was for sure. We're talking low RPE now, but now I hear people talk about like four RPE and two RPE and things like that. And, and if you give them sevens and eights, they can't seem to handle it. And really, I don't mean this disparagingly either. Like they really do honestly seem like they can't seem to handle it. Now, why might that be? You know, are people just physiologically different now than they were, you know, five years ago? Uh, that seems ridiculous. Mm. You know, could it be that the growth of powerlifting, we're seeing people with, you know, a wider variety of genetic predispositions? Could it be athletic history related or could it just be social trend you know i think maybe are you being be serious though when you say a two rpe like people train with a yeah. two rpe i, I don't <laughs> <laughs> i think i think to write something like that on a piece of paper is fairly ridiculous but it is a thing um like because my understanding of like the further you get from a 10 rpe right the less accurate your judgment gets so in yeah, my mind, I'm like, absolutely. if I'm going to, like, I don't even know how I would judge a 2RPE because how often do I do eight reps, like, on a main lift, you know? Like, I don't actually know what eight more reps feels like because if I fail a set of eight, I can't remember, like, the first rep, I don't even remember what that felt like. And I have to right. figure that out to get my RPE right. Like, Because um, I, mean, I remember in, in your initial, you. like, um, RPE, like, yeah. descriptor thing, isn't six the lowest that it goes? And then it's like yeah. anything below here is, like, basically irrelevant. Yeah, it's not even a work set. That's kind of how I conceptualized it. Now, now, I mean, maybe you want to use a reps and reserve scale, whatever, it's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's not just you and your perceptions either. Like, I've collected loads of velocity data. Mm. And velocity data is only relevant, at least as far as RPE goes, it's only relevant once you get within a certain proximity of failure. And that does vary depending on the technique and the lifter. But it's certainly not too... RPE, you know, yeah, like, yeah. I couldn't look at uh, somebody's velocity, you know, even measure it out to like a hundredth of a meter per second and say, yep, that's a two RPE, but not a three, 
you know yeah 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 it's just that, not, the difference is too close yeah no that's not a thing you know it's at that point we're prescribing load in some other way mm. and we're saying this should feel easy that's about all the granularity you're getting and if that's understood between coach and athlete that's fine but I don't know. It's not clear to the rest of us, at least. And I, yeah, I, I no disrespect to people training like that, but I, I can't even comprehend like what a two RP would mean, like that, that, and like just in my head, like I, you know, if yeah. I go and do a set, like, and I, again, I don't mean to disrespect one who trains with very like low RPU training because obviously it's a thing, but like in my mind, I don't know. Like all I think is, did they mean two RIR, like rather than two RPE? You know, like did they, yeah. did, did they get the way around wrong? And like they, I don't know, because um, that just seems really strange. But um, I can kind of get it from like a speed work perspective. Like you probably would expect that if I was doing, you know, a speed set of three, like your traditional sort of west side type approach with that sort of loading, that would probably be an eight RIR. You know, like you'd probably sure. have quite a few left in the tank, and you'd anticipate that. But I, kind of what you say, like. I don't think I could, I don't think I would be able to like accurate, accurately or reliably choose that load each week. You know, like my eight reps in no. reserve this week would be very, very different probably to my eight. And it could be, you know, wildly up or down. I think like, I don't think I'd have a consistent sort of like, oh yeah, my two RPE is a, is a hundred on my squat or whatever it might be. Like, I don't know. Well, like, I don't know. If you prescribed it, and you said, I want you to squat 100 kilos for a double. It should be a 2 RPE. And they came back and said, well, it was really a 3 RPE. Like, what do you do with that information? You know? Like, it, you're just percentage basing it at that point. You're saying, I want you to squat 60% for a double or whatever whatever mm. it is. You know, I want you to squat this percentage for a double and it should be easy. We intend for it to be easy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, you know, like almost a broad descriptor would work better at that level of yeah, granularity. Yeah, I, I think yeah, so. I, yeah. I mean... Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, to to me, it's kind of like when I prescribe like aerobic training stuff, right? And one of the ways that I do that, because not everyone will have access to a heart rate monitor or not everyone will know their training paces from like a, you know, a testing run or something. So, you know, you you prescribe something that's meant to be like a zone two work and you say, oh, this should feel like, you know, this should be a easy or very easy type effort. You're not, you know, I don't want you, you know, it should be conversational, all of those things. And you're like, you're putting a lot of stuff that they can kind of think how it should feel like you know very yeah. easy easy but like that descriptor works right because you're like oh yeah i should be able to have a yarn at this pace it should be fine i should feel that you know finish this feeling as fresh as when i started or better you know like that's the sort of level that i'm wanting you to feel after a after a yeah. zone two easy type session if it was relatively short duration but like yeah, yeah to try and put like a, oh you have to be like your pace needs to be at exactly this percentage of your 5k pace like, or else you're wasting your time or, you know, or else yeah. you're not doing the training that I've prescribed. Like that would be almost ludicrous. Right. And you'd, you'd right. consider that ludicrous in the context of aerobic training. Cause I'm like, your heart rate changed like two or three beats, mate. Like what's, what's, what's the difference there? You know, you're still within this big zone of like aerobic work. Um, and I, I imagine it would be much similar to that with this, but we're probably spending way too much time on this. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> pull you into to training nerd land, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's a new it's a new one to me, and I, I think Mike, if we ever sit down, we're always going to have a bit of a chat about different training um, philosophies or thought processes. So I, I'm, I'm not surprised we so. ended up in this in this strange land of low RP <laughs> training. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't come across anyone that's actually done that though. So I mean, it's yeah. interesting. Like how how many people would have you come across that are kind of working with that? Is it more I mean, common that... than it has been, or you've just seen a couple of instances of it? Well, I mean, that that much is an extreme, you know, yeah. but, uh, we've definitely seen an uptick in the number of people who are, seem to be intolerant of higher RPE mm. training, you know, yeah. uh, to the point where, you know, like the emerging strategies, like the doctrinal emerging strategies approach is to have uh, a training week that repeats, you know, mm. well, you can't, we couldn't do that with even like a moderate RP, like what I would consider a moderate RP, like sevens and eights, you know, uh, and it almost forces like a more of a wave load approach, yeah. uh, which is not a problem. It just introduces yeah, yeah. more noise to the system. You know, we've yeah. got to start in week one at like a five RPE and then ramp it up over the course of the block so that we do get something, you know, decent at the end, but mm -hmm. then that's followed immediately with a deload, you know. So, so I mean, do, there do you, have you found in time that 
with the, the lifters that come in from this approach like because that's obviously and you know when we think about anything with adaptation and adjustments and that like we talked about with your with how you've managed training load and things like that like do you find that over time people tend to be able to go from this other approach to using a like higher RP approach or have they kind of stayed at the like unable to kind of I guess tolerate that level of load I haven't seen it change a lot mm. I'm sure it does a little bit but and I haven't looked close enough to well it, this is part of what makes me think that um social trend is part of what's going on here mm. and again like none of this is meant to be disparaging to anybody nah. like I'm subject to social trends in my own training the same way yeah. as everyone else is it's just this one in particular happens to not speak to me very much mm. and i you know it, it just i haven't got caught into this one but you know i mean i'd belt squat with everyone else so you know i'm subject to them as well yeah yeah um but it, it's a fairly recent development mm. you know so like I, I, the trends that i've seen with it are more recent you know I mean, I've worked with lots of people who, you know, have trouble recovering or you yeah. know, maybe they're just a really big lifter and in not great aerobic shape. So we have to make concessions mm -hmm. on workload or frequency or different things. But this particular kind of, you know, uh, not great response to high RPE uh, is newer. You know, mm. so I haven't seen much like really long term stuff. But I mean, it could also be that, you know, and I don't I haven't looked thoroughly. So uh, I don't know what other trends exist. We've had conversations on our coaching staff about this, though. Um, some of the people seem to have not a lot of uh, athletic background. So maybe they yeah. just haven't developed that uh, ability. But then. Some other people do have athletic background. They just tend yeah. to be uh, not in like weight, like weight bearing sports more. Mm. Maybe they've got like an extensive sport background, but in soccer or something, yeah. you know, so, um, so that could be part of it. Uh, you know, we do have more people in powerlifting that really never played sports before. Yeah. So I think that could be part of it part as of well. It. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. I <laughs> Yeah, I, I just can't, yeah, my head, I can't actually comprehend training to like that low of an RPE, like a five or a six. I can probably yeah. like get on board with that and I can understand that. Like, um, I just feel like I'd have to do a bit too much. Like, and I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I feel like I'd have to do too many work sets at that sort of an RPE range to kind of make it yeah. worth my while. And I mean, maybe that's just my bias, but, but that's, well, I mean, you know, I, I did it in kind of stage one of my yeah. career and I'll still do it with bench just because it yeah. tends to tolerate yeah, yeah. it better yeah. um so i'm not against it but like i would prescribe it a little differently too like mm -hmm. I, I just don't think that we're accurately assessing rpe at that point That's so it. program yeah. it with rpe doesn't make a lot of sense to me yeah there's other ways that you could program it yeah. yeah yeah anyway mate we've got probably i don't know eight eight or so minutes left um i, I just thought let's, let's just have a quick no no it's it's absolutely fine i've i've had a i've enjoyed the discussion it doesn't matter you know i'm i'm the host i can i can go wherever i want with this and as long as i'm enjoying <laughs> the discussion it's all good right 100 percent. yeah <laughs> it's, it's my podcast you're just listening to it <laughs> um but i thought it'd be interesting to kind of have a little bit of a chat about obviously you've you've gone through the stage of having babies and toddlers and the different demands at that place is potentially my my main thing because I'm still in that and we've got baby number two and I think it's about five weeks now. Um, congratulations. Is Well, not quite congratulations yet, but we're close. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. Like for me, I'm like the sleep thing is a really big thing at this phase of life, right? Everything mm. comes back to sleep and how much sleep you're getting and did the baby, uh, did the toddler sleep at night or did he wake you up and all those sorts of things. Like um, mm -hmm. for, in my mind, at least I have other people who have kids similar age and that's not an issue and that's lucky, good, good stuff. I'm, I'm glad for them. Kind of not really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That wasn't, but like <laughs> it kind of, you know, the impact that that has on your ability to kind of a desire to train and then be like your recoverability and those sorts of things. Like, have you found any sort of change in the way you've been able to approach training um, in that sense over the last sort of five or six years? I know that probably the biggest limiter for you was actually probably just your physical capability and capacity to do 
the movements right like that's probably the yeah. biggest thing that's changed for you but yeah. i don't know like how how has kind of training evolved for you as the kids have got you know into a different stage now from three to nine versus you know babies and going through all of the babies that you've had you know like four kids yeah. going through that yeah. stage it's it's a lot so yeah so it's i always you know remind myself that uh, i'm in a really fortunate position that i can you know make training part of my work day yeah. so while everybody's out of the house uh, i can get my training in and um if i didn't have that as an option it would be a lot harder and i probably wouldn't be doing what i'm doing now mm-hmm. um you know I, I think that's been huge uh so with that said though like as the kids have gotten older since i work from home i do tend to to be the the home parent right so if the kids are sick and need to stay home then i'm i tend to be the one that's home with them yeah um because i'm here anyway and when they're small that was horrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah just look i'll be honest with you it was it was rough and it got better i got better at adapting to those situations too and a lot of like a lot of what we were talking about earlier with like the workload management piece Mm -hmm. a lot of that was an outgrowth of that situation you know needing to be more flexible with my schedule and yeah i didn't have time to do my rows today so i'm gonna have to bump it till tomorrow should i do the same amount you know but now it's kind of close to the next session you know how do i adjust this you know yeah and you don't want to always kind of rely on like let me sit down and have a real serious think about this so I can make the best decision. You want to systematize it so that even when you're tired, even when you're stressed, yeah. you know, you don't feel like it, you you still come up with a good decision. Yeah. So yeah. A lot of that system was an outgrowth of, is an outgrowth of a lot of things. Having young kids in the house was one of them. Um, kind of the, the scheduling disruption that that brought. But as the kids have gotten older, all that's been, less of a issue you know Mm. so now like with the with the older two if they're off from school or you know they're homesick or something like that i'm also fortunate i'm training in my garage um Mm. so i can go out there and (laughs) i'll be coming yeah carry on carry on i'll I'll just mute myself (laughs) but uh um yeah, like the like I can still go out to the garage and still get a session in. Um, it's been it's been fine, honestly. And we're also there's a lot of recurring theme I hear in my own voice here is good fortune. You know, we're fortunate we live in this we live in a really good neighborhood too, uh, where the kids can go out and play. They play in the in the park across the street, they play in the yard, there's other kids around. So, you know, if it's the afternoon I need to finish up my training session you just roll the garage door the kids will go out and play i'm kind of keeping an eye on them and finishing up my work um so that's been it's been great it's been more um balanced i guess like from a training standpoint uh from a travel and competing standpoint it's gotten harder just because yeah. as they've gotten older they notice my absence a lot more and yeah. so that's been that's been more difficult but it's also yeah. less of a frequent problem so yeah i get yeah are you still traveling but for coaching though as well as a competing side like that would probably be the bigger travel piece for you wouldn't it yeah generally so yeah yeah. you know i traveled in in june august i think i traveled in july as well traveled in Mm -hmm. september i'll travel in october so it's been a busy summer fall yeah uh, for me so um and every time they're uh um I mean, it, it's really disruptive for them, you know, and that's something that I didn't appreciate enough, like when I was uh, like earlier on in parenting. Mm. Um, like, I mean, I'd heard people say, you know, kids like their routine and stuff, but like we move frequently. My wife's in the military, so every two years we're moving, you know. Yeah. And people would say things like, well, you know, moving is easier when your kids are small. And that's true, but that doesn't mean that it's not impactful. Yeah. You know, because like I remember when we moved here, what uh, a little more than a year ago. So my daughter would have been, uh, she just turned four, you know, and I'm thinking like she's still really young. She's not going to have any issues with this. Right. 
she didn't have big issues with it, but that doesn't mean no issues. You know, yeah. I, and it would surprise me that like months later, she would talk about missing her friends and missing her teacher and stuff like that. And and thinking like, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. You know, like when you stop and think about like what it's like to be a four year old. Yeah, you have a memory that spans more than a <laughs> few days, you know. Yeah. You, yeah. Your capacity to remember these things and miss them. Yeah, of course it would be there, you know. It's not the same as being a teenager and kind of being ripped away from friend groups and stuff like that. But again, it's not zero impact either. So anyway, yeah, something that's been impactful for us. Yeah, yeah. So do like do you find the recovery aspect has been affected at all with having like I I guess a, a hopefully I, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, I, I'm just hopeful because Harvey's three soon, right? so I'm hoping yeah. that the three year olds is better sleep. Um, but, yeah. but like, has that had an influence on you at all? Like compared to having, you know, multiple young ones that are probably more likely to be up in the night. Like yeah. how has that kind of impacted, I guess, life and, and sleep? Yeah. Sleep has definitely gotten better, uh, over the last couple of years. Um, the three-year-olds mostly sleep through the night, but still occasionally you get mm. disruptions. Somebody fell out of bed, <laughs> you know, yeah. bad dreams and, you yeah. know, just randomness. But, uh, um, you know, that's my sleep is often disrupted by work as much as it is from kids these days, which is a good spot to be in, I guess. Um, I mean, at least that puts it under my sphere of control. Uh, but you know, I'm choosing to get up early so I can get in a little bit of time before everyone else wakes up, you know, so that's, um, something I've chosen to do, but I'm, I'm definitely less sleep deprived, less caffeine dependent than I've been in years. <laughs> you know, like we did pretty good when my first, uh, was born my son. Um, I, I did pretty good at like maintaining routines after, after a little while, of course it's disruptive in the very beginning, but then I got back to a routine. Then when my daughter was born, uh, I, I said, well, I'm going to need to start some caffeine <laughs> at this point, right? So, uh, and that went on for a long time, you know, went through the twins being born up until like the twins were, you know, well, pretty recently actually. Uh, and then I, I finally it kind of clicked uh, just a short time ago. I was like, you know what? Probably don't need as much of this as I'm taking in. You know, I could, I could cut back and not be missing anything, you know? So that's, that's a good spot to be in. So good news for for the future. I hope. I, I do love that the um the caffeine intake is the main correlation with how the sleeping's going. Like that's oh yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Like I think yeah, I definitely drink a few more coffees than I probably did before Harvey was born. I've always been, you know, a lover of caffeine in some form or another. Whether whether that's a fizzy drink or once I got a little bit older, it became coffee. And you know now I'm quite happy with coffee. Um, <laughs> and we've got all sorts of coffee making devices at home. And you know like yeah. you can. You can do it quietly or you can do it loudly. You can do it fast, <laughs> or you can do it slow. Like you can make coffee anyway. So, um, you know, there's there's always there's always coffee on hand. And I, I like to think down in New Zealand that we do a pretty good job of our coffees. Um, <laughs> so so I'm definitely going to be fond of the caffeine, but I can, def, you know, see that there has been a correlation, you know, that probably prior to Harvey, there's yeah. one to two cups. And now it's probably, you know, two to four, um, depending on the day mm. or the night. So, it, yeah, it is yeah. what it is, but it'll be interesting to see if that correlates as well, that once the kids get a little bit over, you know, will I think back to this conversation with Mike and think, oh, yeah, my coffee consumption has significantly decreased in the last five months. Like, oh, that correlates well, quite nicely. <laughs> I don't know. For me, maybe it's because I'm so habitual, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's not where it was at peak levels. Like at peak <laughs> levels, it was a lot. Um, yeah. So it's not there, but it's still pretty high. Uh, and it just occurred to me, it's like, yeah, I, I probably don't need this. I probably should change some of my habits so yeah. I don't have as much of this, you know. So, yeah. Well, when I, when I looked at the, um, the literature around, you know, coffee intake and mortality, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's coffee that you consume as your form of caffeine, but they normally say somewhere between sort of two and three cups is actually associated with, you know, longevity. So yeah. I'm just going to claim that and think if I can stick between one and three, I'm probably going to be okay. Um, yeah. who knows? I, I didn't, you know, I haven't read that research thoroughly. That was me skimming an abstract to make myself feel good. So, go. um, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if, if I delve not, into it. I'll if see you're something not getting like a gram of caffeine a day, then 
you're probably going to be okay, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how that works. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and I mean, there's other good stuff in coffee. So, I mean, don't yeah. tell me otherwise. I'm going to, I'm going to happily do it. And, you know, you can, you can try and tell me, but you're probably not going to change um, what yeah. I do. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, th I think it's that it's, you know, solve the problem that's in front of you. You know, you're, you're tired. Well, yeah, sleeping more would be great, but that's not really an option. So what else you got? Well, yes. Yeah. What, what's in your control? Right. Yeah. Well, that would that would be helpful. So we'll do that while we have to. And then, you know, when it comes to training, being flexible, you know, planning training sessions to be short, mm. planning training sessions to be interrupted. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if you've talked to, to Newton Chang, but uh, he's got a, a bit of a different take on this, that he kind of plans for his training sessions to be kind of a sacred space. You know, where, and, you know, he, of course, works that out with his wife because mm. um, you, you can't just decide that that's got to there's support that has to happen in order for that to function. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, the different ways to solve that problem, I guess, but it all comes back to like, well, what is this? How can I, you know, control it? How, what can I do? Yeah. Um, and then the phases end, you know, that's it, it. it's a long it feels like a long time when you're looking forward. You're like, man two years you know but you know then you look back on it, you're like yeah that was two years well on to the next yeah. <laughs> i don't know if that's good or bad but that's kind of how it's landed with me no i think i think we'll call that the finishing advice i know we've done the um <laughs> final three before so so we can probably just um you know we could probably just wrap it up there i think that was you know being flexible, those sorts of things that you've mentioned. Um, Newton might be a good one to try and actually look at getting on here. I might have to see if you can link me up um, to have a chat yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, with him because he'd, be, he'd be cool to have on and hear that different way of looking at it because I think there's a little bit to that um, sacred space thing. Like when yeah. when you're running, well, yeah. you're gone, mate. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. If, I mean, if you want to get into a different you know type of training, Mike, and you need some space to yourself, you know, put your running shoes on out the door and then no one can get you because you're gone. Um, so... <laughs> So it does work as a sacred, quiet space in your own head, you know, like. <laughs> See, the meathead in me thinks like, well, you could make like a little sled with like toddler seats and seat belts, and, uh, you know, sled drag. Make it a big drag. Right? <laughs> they'd probably think it was fun. <laughs> they, they would until they didn't want to, and then they'd hop off and it would be, you know, trying to make right. them get home. <laughs> Although to be fair, if you're pushing them and it's making noise, they're probably going to be pretty happy, but yeah. Right. <laughs> Cool, Mike. Thanks heaps for making time for me again. I, it was great to chat. And I know we spent a lot of time there talking about um, training related concepts and thoughts. And I mean, I, I enjoyed it. So hopefully, you know, people that are listening enjoyed that one too. But um, yeah, where can people Always find pleasure, you, mate? Where can people find you, Mike? Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, probably Instagram is the best place you can look me up at uh, Mike Tushir. Or uh, if that's too hard to spell, I get it. Uh, reactive training systems on IG or on YouTube. Uh, both of those work. Cool, man. Thanks heaps again for coming on and um, all the best with this comp in a few weeks. It'll be interesting to see um, how that goes with the kids watching. I'm sure it'll be something that you'll 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 remember fondly looking back on bringing them to their first you know comp and seeing yeah. what all the stuff Daddy does in the garage or the basement or whatever <laughs> is is all for. So um, good luck with that, mate. Oh, and I hope the next few weeks of training go go really well Thank and you, you continue to hit some more PRs because it's been awesome to watch and I'll definitely be following along. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. If you found anything within this episode valuable, please be sure to share it with someone else who you think might benefit from its content. Don't forget to give the podcast a rating on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to follow along with what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at hjp underscore stronger dads. If you're interested in any of my coaching services or learning more about me, just head to hjpmethod.co.nz. That's hjpmethod.co.nz. Right. We'll see you on the next one.